So John chapter 3 is where we're going to be, John chapter 3. And uh, once you find your place, just out of respect for God's word, let's go ahead and stand. And uh, this is, boy, what a landmark chapter of the whole Bible, John chapter 3. And I, I feel very unworthy this morning to open and uh, try to give you some ideas and tell you what I think this means and uh, this morning. I mean, I really, some passages make you feel very small, and this is one of those. And so we'll read the first 15 verses. We won't get to John 3:16 until next week, um, but I think there's a lot here, a lot to cover just this morning. Beginning in verse 1, John chapter 3, verse 1 says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, the same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Now, I'll stop there for just a minute and give you some insight into Nicodemus. Um, he's a religious leader. He's a Pharisee. He knows all about the Old Testament. And he comes and he says, and what we might say is that he said, you know, you're, you're a teacher, that's a good thing. Uh, he comes kind of complimenting Jesus, but notice he was just talking about teacher, Jesus in the capacity of being a teacher. Really what Nicodemus needed was a savior. And, and so his mindset is, from the very beginning, he's, he's curious, he wants to know, but he doesn't understand truly yet what he really needs from Jesus Christ. Look at verse 3, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus answers very directly. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? I mean, it's just silly if you can imagine the way he's saying it. Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except the man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh, and whither it goeth, so is every one that is born of the Spirit." Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? He's still confused. Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel and knowest not these things? Um, translation, I thought you were smart. Okay, that's kind of the idea. You know, he, he's pretty direct with Nicodemus. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, We speak that we do know and testify that we have seen, I'm telling the truth, and ye receive not our witness. If I have told you earthly things and ye believe not, how shall ye believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up, the, ascendeth, ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life." And this morning, I don't even know how to approach this. I mean, that's how I feel this morning. That's how I felt this week. And I'm just calling it this morning, you must be born again. A simple, thoughtful, just straight from the Bible. What does the Bible say about salvation? And sometimes we just need to be reminded that we must be born again. You 
must be born again. If you want to see the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Father, I need you. You know how, how desperately I do and I'm asking for your help. Lord, help me this, this morning to be um, clear in my, my presentation, in my words. And really, I pray that your Holy Spirit would take over and that you'd fill me in such a way that, uh, that you speak to hearts, not because of my words, but because of your word. pray that you'd illuminate this. And if there's anyone here this morning who is not born again, as the Bible uh, requires, then I pray today would be the day that they submit themselves to the plan of Jesus Christ. Lord, we need you. In Jesus' name, we pray that you bless the reading of your word. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I was watching a video of a man this week, and um, he was going around in public places and stores and things like that, and, and he had a microphone, and he was offering to give $100 in the, one of the videos I saw, $100 for every Bible question that somebody could answer. And I was like, man, I wish I was at Home Depot right then, you know, I, um, because he was, he was asking these questions that, that you would think people would know the answer to and people did not know the answer to them. Um, it's amazing how little they knew about the Bible. I, for instance, one of the questions was, name a book of the Bible that begins with the letter G. And this lady was struggling. You, you could tell she's thinking of, uh, by the way, what would you say? Genesis, okay. And so she's struggling and, and she says, Goliasis. So she's like, the one name she can think of is Goliath. But she knows there's a book of the Bible that ends with Isis. So she just combined them. I was like, that's actually pretty genius. Goliasis, it, it worked. She didn't get $100, but... You know, it was a funny moment, but also it struck me um, as a reminder to me how biblically illiterate our culture has become. And, and I'm not trying, and when I, and I mean, I'm not trying to say that people aren't smart. I'm just saying that people are no longer exposed to the truths of God's word anymore. Uh, it used to be that families, a part of your week as a family, um, is that you would attend church as a family. That was just part of culture. It was part of life. And now, you know, many families spend their weekends driving the kids to play ball and, and doing all of these other things. It's just the way our culture has gone. The Bible used to be a part of everyday life. It used to be taught in schools. They used to be, uh, the Ten Commandments used to be on the walls. And, and even if someone wasn't a Christian, whether or not they knew it, the Bible guided the way that they lived. That was the culture we lived in in 1963. You know, government took a prayer and, and the Bible out of schools. And, and I think we could all look back to 1963 and say, things are not better than they used to be. You know, I think removing God from our daily lives has had an, uh, just an, an eternal, lasting effect on our lives, on the culture in which we live. And, and we are in a new era in which people are largely... Uh, you might could say ignorant or illiterate of the Bible. It's, that's not demeaning someone's intelligence. It's not questioning how smart they are. They just haven't been exposed to it. The emphasis on God's word has been diminished. It's not the priority it used to be. So you could walk through the halls or, or uh, down the aisles of a store and ask questions, basic questions that people that you, they used to know those, they won't know them anymore. 
And, and people still have questions that they don't know the answers to. I think about Nicodemus here. He's an intelligent man. He's a religious man. He had much of the Old Testament memorized. He had influence. He was a Pharisee. He was respected. And yet he, on a basic level, he, had, he was ignorant of truth. He didn't fully understand what, what Jesus Christ was trying to teach and was trying to get to. He was ignorant of it. It doesn't mean he wasn't smart. He simply hadn't been exposed to this truth. And what I appreciate about Nicodemus is he doesn't just stay in his ignorance. He went and asked Jesus. He sought him out. You know, he saw the ministry of Jesus. He saw the miracles that Jesus had done. And it compelled him to go see Jesus. He said, I have to talk to Jesus. He, he was so moved that, that he went to God while he could have been sleeping. He went to Jesus at night. And, and not because he was afraid, I believe, but because he wanted unfettered, undivided attention. He wanted to talk to Jesus. But think about this. If Nicodemus, as religious and as respected and as knowledgeable of the scripture as he was, if he needed someone to explain the basic concepts of being born again, how do we not realize how many people around us need the basic concepts of being born again explained to them as well? I would submit to you that one of the primary reasons there is biblical ignorance is because God's people struggle to explain what being born again means. I think we know what it means, but if someone is to come to us and ask us what it means, we would struggle with it. And I really believe that this is a good explanation, obviously, from Jesus, the best explanation of what being born again means. And so uh, before we get into this more, to the Christian this morning... I want you to pay attention so that if someone asks you uh, what it means to be born again, that you can explain it to them. That you have in your mind the, the understanding so that you could in turn tell somebody about Jesus Christ. But then there are those in this room who may not be a, a child of God. Maybe you've never gotten your salvation settled. Maybe you've never received Christ as your Savior. This message is for you as well. Because this message is about being born again. And so it's a new birth is the concept. So what does a new birth mean? Well, the first thing that, that I want to point out here in Jesus' answer is a new birth means that you're not okay. Jesus didn't answer Nicodemus by saying, okay, you know, you're a really good person. You've got some good things going for you. No, actually Nicodemus comes and he says, I know that you're a teacher and, and you must from, come from God. And Jesus very directly and bluntly essentially says, you're not okay. He says, except a man be born again, he, sh he cannot see the kingdom of God. I mean, here's Nicodemus. You would think that Jesus would compliment him. He comes by night, he wants, the, he wants the full effect, he makes effort, he says, Rabbi, teacher, we know that you're from God. Only somebody that comes from God could do the miracles that you've done. And, and he's, I wonder if he's thinking, yeah, okay, I've come and I've given you a compliment, now it's my turn. And Jesus said, um, if, if you aren't born again, you don't get to see the kingdom of God. Very directly, very bluntly, yeah, and if, if Nicodemus expected a compliment, he didn't get one. Uh, Jesus begins by saying, verily, verily, which he uses that term, that phrase, verily, verily, three different times in this conversation. Verily, verily comes from the same Greek word from which we get the term amen. The idea is truly, 
truly, when you say amen, and you heard um, a few amens, I, I wish there were more at times, you heard a few amens this morning uh, during the song, and, and you'll hopefully hear some more as we go, but the idea is what you said, if you say amen, what you say, what you said is true, I agree with it, and I confirm it, that's what amen means. So when Jesus says, verily, verily, he says, truly, truly, this is confirmed. He's trying to hammer a truth home in Nicodemus's mind. And here's the idea. I want to hammer this home, Nicodemus. Are you ready? Your religion is not enough. You are a sinner in need of transformation. You need internal transformation. You need a new life from God. It is not enough for you to continue down your religious path. Jesus holds nothing back. He lets Nicodemus know that religion's not enough. He lets Nicodemus know that he's not just a teacher. He lets him know by the end of this that he is the savior, that Nicodemus is not okay. He says, accept a man. Meaning, there are no exceptions. What I'm about to say, and Jesus says, what I'm about to say is exhaustive and it is final. Verily, verily, truly, truly. I'm going to hammer this home. Accept, there are no exceptions, a man. And by the way, he doesn't say a Jew. He doesn't say a Pharisee, which means that this is a universal truth. And it applies to every person who's ever lived, who's ever walked on planet Earth. There are no exceptions, and yet this is a universal truth that applies to everybody, if, except a man. See, the Jews had a tendency to think they'd cornered the market on religion, that they had cornered the market on access to God, especially the Pharisees. You know, they stood up there in the corners of the synagogues and in the, in the, on the corners of the streets and, and they prayed and everyone basically worshipped them like man, like idols that were men because they were so committed. And here's Nicodemus. He thinks he's worthy of the kingdom because of his religious commitment. But Jesus levels the playing field right off and he says the same rules apply to everybody any man, any woman, any child, except they are born again. They cannot see the kingdom of God. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And I'm going to explain that before we get to the term born again. Nicodemus, when he heard the term kingdom of God, he would have thought about the universal reign of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, when he sets up his earthly kingdom on planet earth. See, the Jews were looking for that Messiah. They were looking for the king. They were looking for God to come down from heaven and set up his kingdom and sit on his throne. And God does have, he still does, by the way, he has a plan to redeem and restore Israel. And that's not done yet, okay? So the anti-Semitism that we see today, I really believe that its root source is Satan himself, who has always hated God's people. And I'm not saying that Israel has done everything right because they clearly have not. But if you read your Bible, it's pretty hard and a twisting of interpretation to say, well, God's done with Israel because it's even in prophecy, the nation of Israel is all throughout it. We would do well as God's people to support them, not support their spiritual condition, not to support and say, well, they're just all good people because they did reject Jesus Christ. But as a nation, we would do well to support them because God said in Genesis 12 that he will bless those that bless them. And it's good for us to remember that, but that's the kingdom Nicodemus is thinking of. He thinks that Jesus, when he says kingdom, he's going to set up an earthly kingdom, but that's not the way Christ meant it. 
See, one commentator, Ed Blum, says, the kingdom is the sphere or realm of God's authority and blessing, which is now invisible, but will be manifested on earth. That's the future kingdom. To see the kingdom, according to Jesus' words, is equal to entering the kingdom. Another commentator said this, to a Jew with the background and convictions of Nicodemus, to see the kingdom of God was to participate in the kingdom at the end of the age to experience eternal resurrection life. So Nicodemus, when he hears the term to see the kingdom, that you cannot see the kingdom, he's thinking of the end kingdom. When God sets up his kingdom on earth, Jesus reigns on earth, but that's not the kingdom Jesus is talking about. See, Jesus was saying that the kingdom is not just in the future. It's not just a physical kingdom. He's he's talking about the kingdom of God as if it's present now. I mean, at this time, you know, kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God are used interchangeably. That's what John the Baptist came preaching. Except you repent, you shall not see the kingdom of heaven. And the idea is that if someone would repent, they could enter into the kingdom right then. It's not just in the future. No, the kingdom, to be a subject in God's kingdom, means you simply have to be submissive to the king. And that subjection begins right now. The kingdom of God is not just a future thing. The kingdom of God is present in those who have submitted to God's plan for salvation. It's not just the distant future. And the way that Jesus goes then from kingdom of God to eternal life means in his mind they're one and the same. He's talking to Nicodemus about having eternal life, not just in the future, but now. And for Jesus, redemption wasn't just physical and earthly. He had already made it clear in the chapter before that outward religion was not enough. It wasn't something physical and visible. Remember when, when they, they believed, saw his miracles in John 2 and they believed him, but, but he did not commit himself to them because even though they said they believed in him, they hadn't truly placed their trust in him and he knew that their belief was not genuine faith. That's what he's looking for. The kingdom of God is not just a throne. It's not just a physical kingdom. No, it is a change in the heart of men. The kingdom is more than just a king on a throne. It's more than God ruling over nations. For Jesus, the kingdom is a heart issue. And here's why. Because religion can't resolve our biggest problem, which is sin. A kingdom won't fix what's wrong on the inside. Sin is a personal issue with God. It must be dealt with. And Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, you must submit to the king in this matter. Listen, you don't need religion, he says. You need transformation. You need a changed life. You need a different heart. And Jesus is clear, except the man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And what he's saying is there is a requirement to have eternal life. It's not religion. It's a new birth. And his message to Nicodemus is if you want eternal life, you have to acknowledge that you're not okay. You need something from God. You need something more than what you can offer. What you've done is, I mean, fine by earthly standards, but it's not enough. So a new birth, being born again, means we're not okay. A new birth, second, means that a new birth means a different kind of birth. I know that sounds really obvious. That's what Jesus says. He starts to explain what being born again means. Every person has already been born once, okay? Captain Obvious shows up this morning. 
If you're here, you've been born. Okay, write that down. Every person who's ever lived has been born. So right away, though, Jesus says, but that's not the kind of life you need to enter the kingdom. That's not the birth that qualifies you for the kingdom. Just because a person's alive doesn't mean they qualify for eternal life. And, and, and that's, that's hard in our culture because we live in a culture where everyone wants to say, well, you're good enough and you're good enough and you get a trophy and everybody's good enough. But Jesus here is being politically or religiously incorrect, if you want to call it that. And he says, you're not good enough. No, actually, you need a different birth than the one that you've already experienced. One birth is not enough. He's saying you were born. So what he's saying here, you were born as the result of a physical union. We understand that. And you're, in your present condition, in our present physical condition, in Nicodemus's present or his condition in that moment, having only been born once, that's what Jesus is saying, you were lost. Having only been born once, you're not qualified to see the kingdom of God. You need a different kind of birth. This is a birth on a different level. And he uses the word again, which means either, it can mean either a new or it means from above. And so this means the concept is you must be reborn from above. You must have a new birth from above, a second birth. I was, my birthday is September 30th, 1977. And just so you don't spend the next five minutes doing math, that's 46, okay? I want you to pay attention to the message, okay? I mean, it's going to take a lot of fingers to get there. So, no, that's my birthday, September 30th. I almost said 1776. I don't know why. <laughs> 1977. It's from a physical, but that's a physical birth. It's from a physical source. It came about as a result of a union between my parents. That's when I was born physically. But I was born again, born from above, spiritually, on July 16th, 1987. As a nine-year-old kid, I was at camp, uh, at junior camp, and somebody did a message on hell. And I had made a profession when I was young, but I, I it was doubting it. And I heard this message on hell, and I went to my dad and said, I don't know that I've had that second birth. Can you talk to me about it? He showed me from God's word. And on that day, July 16th, 1987, I experienced my second birth. The first physical birth was an event that all of us, that we've all experienced that. But there's a second spiritual birth, and that's what Jesus said is necessary for eternal life. And if you want to spend eternity in heaven, you need more than just this physical birth over here. You need something beyond this. No, there must be a time in your life where there's a second birth. There's another moment in time in which you have new life, new birth. And the question of the hour is simply this. We know you've been born. But have you been born again? We know you have birth. You're alive. You're here. But is there a moment in time, a time in your life that you can look back and say, okay, there's my physical birth. This is my spiritual birth. This is my second birth. This is the time, and it's not a result of a physical union. 
between my parents. No, in a similar way, the word of God, his seed was planted in my heart and it showed me that I'm a sinner. And I knew in that moment that unless something is done with my sin, that I can't have the eternal life, that I can't enter the kingdom of God. In that moment, the word of God revealed to me my sin. I knew I was guilty before God. I knew something had to happen. And so I placed my faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And that moment that I look back on, that's my, that's my new birth. My second birth. Seed planted in our heart reveals to us that we're sinners. We acknowledge we can't do anything in our own strength. We have nothing in our own works that can help us. We must trust Jesus Christ and him alone. Do you have second birth? Nicodemus, he had to answer the question. I mean, he was confronted with this, but he still wasn't understanding. We go through this in verse 4. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born again or born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? We all know that's obvious. That's clearly not physically possible. But he's so focused on the outward things, remember? He's focused on the external things. And that's, that's what's on his mind. Who can blame him? And to him, religion was outward. And, but Jesus starts to make it clear he's not talking about outward religion. He's not talking about something physical. He's talking about a heart matter. So in verse 5, Jesus answered, Verily, verily, again, he says, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. A lot of different opinions about what this verse means. And, and I'll just give you a few ideas and then give you what I think the focus that Jesus is trying to make here. There are a lot of people that believe that this teaches that baptism is essential to having eternal life. But that view is, is contra, uh, contradicted many times over in other Bible verses. It make it clear that salvation is by faith alone and not through baptism. John 3.16, just later on. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. If you want everlasting life, it doesn't say anything about baptism. It talks about belief. Later in John 3.36, he that believeth on the son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not, the son shall not see life. But the wrath of God abideth on him. It says nothing about baptism. We could go to Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It's not about our works. If it was about our works, if it was about something we could do, we would boast about it. So that's not what Jesus is saying or else he contradicts himself later. Others believe Jesus is marking the difference between physical birth and spiritual birth. That he's saying a person must be born physically, but then he also must be born spiritually to have eternal life. But in studying um, the terminology here, he's really just talking about one birth. He's not saying there must be this birth, then this birth. Although that's true, you've got to be alive and then you need a second birth. I don't know. I don't believe that's necessarily the focus either. Another approach to this is that the water Christ mentions refers to the repentance ministry of Jesus of John the Baptist and the spirit refers to the birth from above that a person experiences at salvation and and this is closer I believe to what the context is um, see John the Baptist turn over to Ezekiel chapter 36 keep your place right here in John chapter 3 I just want to read some verses to you that I think will help us to understand what Jesus was trying to say and what, John, what uh, Nicodemus probably should have been thinking about. See, at, at this time, if you, Ezekiel 36, it's in the Old Testament. Um, my Bible's page 563, but that's not going to help you very much. 
Ezekiel chapter 36. So John the Baptist, think about this. John the Baptist, at this time, he was baptizing with water those who repented of their sins and placed their faith in God instead of trusting the religious system of the day. It was happening all over. We've talked about this in this series, how people were coming to John the Baptist. And it used to be that it was the Gentiles. When a Gentile would convert to Judaism, those are the ones that got baptized. Well, now, uh, according to, to uh, John 1 and 2, we've already talked about it. John the Baptist was baptizing Jews because they were repenting of their sin and turning from the religious system and placing their faith in God alone. And that was happening, that, that's, that was going on. Well, this is a prophecy in Ezekiel chapter 36 that refers to this time. Look at Ezekiel 36, 25. He says, Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you, and ye shall be clean from all your filthiness, and from all your idols will I cleanse you. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you, and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and ye shall keep my judgments and do them. So here's a prophecy. Jesus, or God is talking through the prophet Ezekiel who's recording these words. And he's talking about a day I will, there will come a time where I will sprinkle clean water upon you. And, and ye shall be clean from your filthiness and your idols will I cleanse you. So if he's talking about, do you think he's talking about dirty, a dirty body? Or do you think he's talking about the sin of the heart? He's talking about the sin of the heart, clearly. He's talking about filthiness and idolatry. He's not talking about throwing somebody in the water. He's talking about the cleansing power of forgiveness. And he says, I will cleanse you as if with water. I will cleanse your hearts and I will forgive you. And at verse 26, a new heart also will I give you and a new spirit will I put within you. See, Nicodemus knew these verses. And he should have been connecting the dots. He should have been connecting what Jesus said to this text in Ezekiel. And we know that he should have known because Jesus reprimands him later. He says, aren't you a great teacher? Don't you know what the word has already said? There are things that you should be connecting. And so we turn back to John chapter 3. I wish I could spend more time in Ezekiel. But, but I just wanted to point out that water doesn't just mean throwing somebody in the water and cleaning off their body. Water is a, it, it doesn't mean that baptism saves a person. It's not like Jesus is saying that baptism cleanses you. No, baptism is a picture of the cleansing power of the Holy Spirit when he cleanses our hearts and forgives our sins at salvation. There were countless Jews turning from the teaching of the Pharisees. They were turning from that to the teaching of John the Baptist. And all of them that were converted, at that time they were being baptized in water. But the, bapt the water didn't cleanse them. The Holy Spirit was doing the cleansing work. It was God, the Holy Spirit, in, on a personal, internal level, a spiritual level that, that was cleansing them. And here's what is happening. Here's what, Je what Jesus, I believe, was what he's saying. Nicodemus, you know how John the Baptist says that he's been preaching this. You know how he says that I come baptizing you with water, but there's one coming after me, it's talking about Jesus himself, that will baptize you with the Holy Ghost? Well, John was right. 
You know, he's been baptizing with water, but baptism is just a physical act. It's an outward sign that a person has repented. They've turned from their sin to place their trust in God for salvation. So John's baptism is on is one level. It's physical. It's an outward symbol. Um, uh, but, but I am offering something more. I am offering forgiveness, cleansing on an internal level, spiritual cleansing. And when a person genuinely repents of their sin, I cleanse them from the inside out. And I really believe that's the context of what Jesus is saying. But however you interpret this verse, know this, Jesus does not say that baptism in water is part of a new birth from above. And in this case, Jesus is saying that a person was repent and be cleansed of their sin in order to see the kingdom of God. The third truth about being born again here is this. And it may be obvious by now, but it can only come about through the work of the Holy Spirit. And if you've been trusting in anything else except the work of God in your life, then you are trusting in something the Bible says is not enough. I mean, all the times Jesus right here in this passage says spirit with a capital S. He's referring back even to those verses in Ezekiel when the water of cleansing and forgiveness, that's, that was just a way to help them understand. It, that's exactly what's happening during this time. Any individual who genuinely acknowledged their sins, Jew or Gentile, it didn't matter. They could come and be saved. The Holy Spirit then was placed within them. And like Ezekiel says, they were given a new heart to live for God. And God the Holy Spirit, listen, he is essential to new birth. You cannot, you cannot be saved without the Holy Spirit. Verse 6 says, that which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. He's making it obvious there's a difference. Marvel not that I said unto thee, you must be born again. Verse 8, the wind bloweth where it listeth, and, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh, and whither it goeth, so is everyone that is born of the Spirit. These are, he's very clearly making it obvious that it's not about an act that you do, it's about the Spirit's work in your heart. And the Holy Spirit, and he talks about the wind blowing, and it's the same word, the wind, uh, the word, Greek word for wind is pneuma, it's the same word for spirit. The Spirit moves in us like the wind. We can't see it, but we feel the effects of it, don't we? Especially in South Dakota. That wind blows. Well, that's how the Spirit moves in our hearts. He convicts us of our sin. He lets us know that, that we're, when we're wrong and when we need to repent and when we need to make things right. Listen, I'm, I've felt the moving of the Holy Spirit in my heart most of my life, as long as I can remember. I, I mean, I remember as an eight-year-old boy having sinned, done something I shouldn't have done, and nobody told me what I had done was wrong. I just knew that it was wrong. And I remember not making that right for a few weeks. And I remember sitting on the couch next to my sister and she, we were watching TV and I should have been able to focus on what was on TV, but I couldn't because of the conviction of the Holy Spirit in my heart. It was crushing me. I could feel it as if someone was just pushing on my, my chest and it was the Holy Spirit. It was God, the Spirit moving in my life. It's not something spooky. I'm talking about something real. Jesus is talking about it right here. You know, if you've ever felt guilty about after you've done something wrong, that's the Holy Spirit moving. 
If you've ever felt moved to respond to a sermon, that's the Holy Spirit. If you've ever been pressed to speak with somebody or be a blessing to somebody, that's the Holy Spirit. Uh, If you've ever felt heaviness in your chest because you needed to do something and you hadn't done it, that's the Holy Spirit. Has it ever worked in your life like that? We can't see him, but we do well to submit to his leading because it's real. He's a real person. And he's moving like wind in our lives. And we go through this in Nicodemus in verse 9. is still saying, how can these things be? He's still focused on the physical. And Jesus says in verse 10, art thou a master of Israel? Knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say to you, we speak that we do know and testify that we have seen and, ye have not, and re- you receive not our witness. If I have told you earthly things and you believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? No man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. He's saying, listen, I have talked to you about these things. I'm giving you this clear evidence. I mean, I wish he would have just quoted Ezekiel 36. And just say, you should know these things. He said, and I'm from heaven. I have authority. I'm not just some other guy. You've acknowledged that I'm not, I can't just be another guy. That I've got it. I, I have to have come from heaven. He says, you should probably listen to me. Then he gets into this illustration, and we'll we'll start wrapping this up. But verse 14, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. Jesus uses this Old Testament illustration. It's from Numbers 21. And Nicodemus knows it well when, when Israel had sinned back then. Then Moses made a serpent of brass. And he held it up and said, if you look on this, you can be spared from God's judgment. And only those who believed the words of Moses and humbled themselves and looked, they were the only ones spared from God's judgment. So I want you to just lock in, okay? Jesus explains it this way. Nicodemus, just like those Jews in the wilderness believed Moses and looked on the serpent and were saved, spared from judgment. The same is true now. The Son of Man, Jesus, he's talking about himself, will be lifted up. He's referring to the cross. I'm going to be lifted up on the cross and all those who refuse to look at me will, will, will suffer God's judgment. But those who humble themselves and look at me and believe in me for salvation can be cleansed from sin and have eternal life. And he makes it so clear. You think, well, I don't know how to make myself have new birth. How am I supposed to have new birth? I can't, I can't, it's not, it's not your job to make sure it happens. You you can't make it happen. No, it is your job, according to this, it is your job to do this. Okay, I know that I'm a sinner and I've got to look to Jesus for salvation. You don't have to start writing a list and say, okay, here's what I have to do to make myself get saved. Here's what I have to do to experience new birth. I've got to do this. I've got to get baptized. I've got to do good works. I've got to help a thousand old ladies across the street this year. <laughs> and you start going through your list. Listen, you could do that your whole life and it would never be enough. No, see, see, this whole point of this is to be born again happens from the spirit It's something that he does in us when we simply acknowledge our inability to save ourselves. We acknowledge that we are sinners. We acknowledge that we have nothing in ourselves and we just look to Jesus. We say, I can't do this on my own. 
So I'm going to look to Jesus. He's the only answer I have. And what Jesus is telling Nicodemus, it says, it's time for you to turn away from your religious system. It's time for you to turn away from all those rules and just acknowledge that salvation only comes when the Holy Spirit does the work, that he cannot do the work until you come to the end of your, your proud self, the end of your selfish self, the end of your sinful self, and acknowledge that if you try and you're on your own, you'll never get to heaven. And it's time to stop trying on your own and look to Jesus. He's the only one with the answer. To be born again is not some long process that you've got to take care of on your own and you can't, you got to make sure nothing falls through the cracks. No, you simply have to stop trusting in yourself and look to Jesus. Stop trying to be good enough because you can't be. Look to Jesus alone for eternal life. Trust in the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit to cleanse your sins and save you. You were born, you have life, but you must be born again to have eternal life. And the real question that I'm asking you today, and if you don't know that if you were to die today and spend eternity in heaven, then I'm begging you for the next five minutes, would you listen up and listen closely? Here's the most important question anybody has ever asked you. Have you been born again? Here's some truths to consider. Birth comes at a point in time. See, that's what your birth certificate says. It doesn't say, well... Sometime in the late 1980s. That's a little confusing. No, your birth certificate has a date and time. And a new birth is no different. A new birth from above means there's a point in time that you look back on and you say, that's when I received eternal life. You don't have to know the date. You don't have to know the time. I'm not saying that. But there needs to be a point in time in your life. Because a birth is not a process. A birth is a moment in time. You say, okay, here's my birth date, September 30th, 1977. Here's my second birth date, July 16th, 1987. And you may not know the date, and you not, may not even know exactly where or when it was, but you have confidence there's a point in time that you've been born again. Amen. Second thing about a new birth, new birth is required of everyone. Nicodemus was as religious as they come, but he needed new birth. And listen, I can guarantee you this. Is no, no matter how good of a life you've tried to live, you probably haven't lived as good as Nicodemus did. Those, those Pharisees, were, they were pretty clean outwardly. They did a lot of good works. But if Nicodemus needed a new birth, I can guarantee you this. You do too. And I do too. You know what? The most, the, the most religious person you know needs a new birth. The Pope needs new birth. Because he's a man, he's a sinner, and except a man, that includes the most religious person you can think of on earth, except a man be born again. He cannot see the kingdom of God. New birth, number three, is not something you can do for yourself. It doesn't come through physical means. It's not about works. The word must convince you of your sin and you must respond by saying, I can't do this and simply look to Jesus. And that should be a relief that you don't have to be good enough because you can't. You're responsible to respond to God's word 
and trust the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. That's what it takes to have new birth. Fourth, new birth means new life. See, the Holy Spirit, like water, cleanses us from the sin. Like Ezekiel wrote, listen, don't, don't turn me off. God gives us a new heart. And finally, we're capable of obeying God. And finally, we're capable of living a life that pleases God. New birth transforms your life. It changes you. It makes you different. And listen, I'm just looking around the room. Aren't you ready for a change? Aren't you ready for something different? Aren't you tired of wallowing in, in the sin and tired of the frustrations of a life? Never having victory? Listen, new birth changes everything. Christian, that means you have no excuse to continue living like the old man. Living in defeat. You have a new nature. You have new life. It's yours. So live like it. Stop dwelling on the past, wallowing in defeat. Live, stop living like the old man. You're a new creature in Christ. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. That's what new birth means. It means new life. And then finally, new birth means eternal life. See, once you are born from above, nothing can take that away from you. And you may fail. You may slip up. But if you're genuinely born Again, you are God's forever. And you get to live for eternity in heaven with God. Would you, would you like to be born again today? You can be. I was thinking about all the reasons why in this room, even right now, some might say yes and some might say no. And, and many in here have already said yes, and I'm thankful for that. But not everyone has. And I was thinking about the pros and cons list, you know, when you're buying a house or you're buying a car, or buying something or making a, a job move, you have a pros and cons list. At least that's what we do. And I was thinking about the pros and cons, okay? So somebody here in this room, be patient, we're almost done. Somebody in this room this morning who doesn't know that you have eternal life. You don't know if you're born again or not. And so you're gonna start making a pros and cons list. Start thinking about the pros and the cons of new birth. Okay, pro. My sins get forgiven. Con. Okay, I can't really think of one. A pro. I get peace in my heart that I've always wanted. Con. Uh, I can't really think of anything to counter that. A pro. I finally feel relieved that I know where I'll spend my future. Don't have to worry about it anymore. I can't really think of a con for that one. You know, pro, I get to spend eternity in heaven with God. Amen. I can't really think of a con to that one either. You know, you can go through the list. You have yours and I have mine. But there's all the pros and there are no cons in the new birth. So my question to you is not to manipulate you this morning, but to help you see, accept a man, be born again. He cannot see the kingdom of God. You may have one birth, but do you have a second birth? And if you don't, there is no reason to say no to it today. Amen. It's all good reasons if you'll say yes. Would you be willing? 
this morning, would you finally just come to the end of yourself and say, I'm tired of not being able to sleep. I'm tired of wondering what happens in the future. I'm tired of having sin overcome me. I'm tired of not having rest in my soul. I'm tired of wondering if I'll be forgiven of my sins. I'm tired of wondering if I die today where I'll be tomorrow. No, you can let go of all of that today. If you would simply place your faith, look to Jesus. He's lifted up on the cross. And all it takes is for you to humble yourself and say, that's the answer I need. Would you be willing? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Would you be willing to place your faith in Jesus Christ this morning? Do you know that you're saved? Do you know that you have eternal life? Have you ever experienced a new birth? I'm gonna ask this question. To, I try this, depending on the message, I try to do this every once in a while. Do you know that you're saved? If you know 100% for sure that you're saved, would you just raise your hand? And I look around the room and the vast majority, I'm so thankful for that. You can put your hands down. But, but if you don't know that you've had new birth, you, you say, yeah, that's my birthday, but I don't know when my second birthday is. I'm not sure I've ever experienced it. I don't know that I've had a new birth. I don't know that I have eternal life. And I really want to get that settled. Would you say this morning, maybe you just admit, I don't know, would you pray for me? Just with your, uh, your hand, would you just raise your hand and say, I'm just not sure. Looking around the room, anybody in the room this morning that would say that? Okay, if, if that's the truth, if everyone here this morning would say, I, I know that I have a second birth, okay? So are you living, Christian, are you living in such a way that would let others around you know, okay, my life is different now? Because it's pretty easy to get caught up in living like the old man, the way things used to be, just doing it what, the way you've always done it. Now, are you truly, genuinely revealing to the world that you are new in Jesus Christ, that there's a new life in you? However, the, the Holy Spirit applies this. If you don't know you're saved, listen, you can be saved today. New birth is available. To the Christian, it, new birth means new life. And there should be something in your life that lets others know there's something different about me now. Let's stand together. We'll have a verse of invitation. I'm going to pray. And if God is speaking to your heart, especially to those who may not know that you're saved, would you be willing to respond today? We won't embarrass you. Somebody can show you from God's word how you can know for sure that you're on your way to heaven. Would you be willing to step out, visit with us about that today? Heavenly Father, we need your, your help, and I pray that your Holy Spirit would work. I have a, the sense that there are those here who may not know you as Savior, but it's a hard decision to make, and it's hard to admit that. Lord, but every one of us must have a time in our lives where we look back and say, this is when my second birth took place. I pray that you'd help us to be willing to admit that, to humble ourselves, and to look to Jesus Christ. I pray for your help as we enter the invitation time. Give us wisdom and courage. In Jesus' name, amen.